What a privilege it is to be together for 60 minutes and think about Jesus. You know, all attention to Him. And so it's right that we would turn to the Bible to also continue that theme. If you have yours, let's open together to the book of Hebrews. If you need one, there's one in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, you're welcome to take it with you and keep that. Uh, the book of Hebrews is in the New Testament. You can find it in the table of contents. Don't be afraid to use that, but let's open together to Hebrews. We began this series last week. It is about the excellency of Jesus Christ and showing that He is superior to all else, every other person, every other idea, every other thing. Jesus is the greatest. That is the theme of the book of Hebrews. We saw last week that long ago and at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, and through whom He also created the world. God is a communicating God, and He wants us to know what is in His mind and heart. He doesn't leave us without a word. He has spoken throughout history in many ways, at many times, through the prophets, that revelation from God to us so that we would know His Word came through visions, it came through a still small voice, it came through mighty acts of history, but God was speaking throughout all of Old Testament history. And the book of Hebrews opens not in Bethlehem, but in the creation of the world. God created the world and the world fell in Genesis 3, and then God set about to redeem the world. God has been speaking from Genesis to the end of Revelation, and I pray He'll be speaking to you this morning as we look at this text, and the Holy Spirit of God will say to you what God wants you to hear about your life. We are in the presence of the Word of God, and we believe that it is empowered by the Holy Spirit brought to our minds and our hearts as we look at it, that He will apply it to us this morning. God is a speaking God. Verse 3 goes on, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty of high, on high. having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. We didn't handle verse 4 last week, but we said that when we talked about Jesus, there were seven things about him that stood out. He is the heir of all things, so history is moving toward him. He is the creator of all of the world. Nothing came into being that has come into being apart from Him. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He shows forth the essence of who God is. He is the exact imprint of what the Father is. Jesus is. He and the Father are one. He upholds the world by the word of His power. Everything holds together this morning because Jesus is holding it together. He made purifications for sins, which we just celebrated in His death on the cross, and everybody said, yeah, sins are paid for. And then He sat down, and sitting down was a sign 
of completion. It was a sign of order. It was a sign of His place next to the Father in heaven, the majesty of God. In that place, Romans 8 tells us He is praying for us at this very moment while you're here. He's interceding for you. Wow. And after those... He became superior to angels. As superior to angels as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. And verse 4 indicates, again, in this theme that the writer of Hebrews is going to develop throughout the entire book, that Jesus is superior to all that has come before, and now a turn to his superiority to angels. He has become superior to angels as the name is, he inherited is superior to angels. How is it that the writer would say Jesus has become? Turn over to chapter 2 and verse 9. Let me show you the, the argument the writer is developing. In Hebrews 2.9, he writes, But we see him... Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. The argument the writer is making is that Jesus became lower than angels in order to taste death so that we might experience life through His sacrifice and yet having now, verse 1, saying become superior to angels. The writer is looking back at the humiliation of Christ, His incarnation, and saying that was the time in which He became lower than angels. Psalm 8 says, What is man that you are mindful of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels, lower than the heavenly beings, lower than the Elohim. So there is in the argument of the superiority of Christ a ranking of God and angels and humanity. Verse 4 indicates that Christ has now, post-death, resurrection, and ascension, again become superior to angels, as superior as the name he inherited is more superior to them. Again, remember the argument I made for you last week that we are reading a book that is 2,000 years old, written in 65 A.D., and speaking to Jews in that day who were well-educated, in the Roman Empire, Hellenistic Jews probably, who knew the Old Testament very well and particularly knew the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And the writer of the book of Hebrews is going to refer back to the Old Testament, translated into Greek, which was a thousand years before that. So there's a gap between 2021 and 65 AD and a thousand or more years before that to the references that we're making. So don't get dizzy yet. But we are looking back into a cultural time in which angels were important to the first century Jews, particularly when it came to knowing God. There was many false ideas about angels. 
there was a serious touch by an angel back then, or angels in the outfield, or, you know, what, all you have to do is look at what happens in Hollywood and your ideas of angels are weird. I don't know how many funerals I've been to when somebody says, oh, well, the deceased has become an angel now. No, they haven't. That doesn't happen. Angels are a distinct class. But in the first century, those who were probably reading this at the first had an idea about angels that was really important. And part of the argument for chapter 1 and into chapter 2 is to say Jesus is superior even to angels, which is probably, we would say, well, duh, but maybe not in that day because of a view about angels. And it will be helpful for us to think for a moment about who the angels are and why that's important. Angels are referred to in the Old Testament 108 times, a direct reference 165 times in the New Testament. Angels are spirit beings without flesh, and they are superior, as we've said, to human beings. Sometimes they're capable of appearing in human form, as we'll see. They were created at one time by God before the creation of mankind. One-third of the angels rebelled against God and fell away, as told in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 4. And these exist today as demonic spirits, evil angel beings who do operate as enemies of God. Angels do not reproduce. They are innumerable in count, countless, Uh, thousands upon thousands and myriads upon myriads are seen in Daniel chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 5. There is some kind of organizational structure within the angelic beings There's a rank and order to them. There are cherubim, seraphim, living creatures, and angels. The word angel means messenger. And because they are found in the Bible from beginning to end, we might just be reminded that even today, uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, we're warned about the way we entertain strangers, lest... We entertain angels unaware. Angels are all over the story. From Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve were put out of the garden, an angel, a cherubim, was put at the garden gate to protect it and keep them out. Angels delivered Lot in the Old Testament. They closed the mouths of the lion for Daniel. They wrestled with Jacob. They gave messages to Daniel and the prophets and others. They were at the birth narrative of Jesus when an angel appeared. They ministered to Jesus after his temptation. And after he had suffered being tempted by Satan, they came and ministered to him. And then they were at the tomb to comfort Jesus' followers and to announce what they should do after he was raised from the dead. They were responsible for busting disciples out of jail. The vision of angels being active indicates who they were and what they did. Angels angels minister and they do God's work as He commissions them. They are called ministering spirits, as we'll see later, and messengers. And one of the roles of messengers was to make announcements or to be God's voice at certain times, and that is true for them. They could be terrifying. You remember, particularly at the tomb, 
uh, behold, there was a great earthquake, and the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on the stone. And the appearance of the angel on the tomb was like lightning. His clothing was white as snow, and for fear of him, the guards troubled and became like dead men. They just passed out. What have they seen? I saw an angel. The most important part of the argument in the book of Hebrews is that angels were instrumental in bringing God's word and his covenant to his people, particularly in the old covenant. Angel means messenger. And in particular, most Jews in the first century who were religious and devout and who knew the Old Testament believed that angels were responsible for being the mediators of the old covenant. So when you read the book of Acts chapter 7 and verse 53, you will hear Stephen say, two stubborn Jewish leaders who didn't believe in Jesus, you received the law delivered by angels and you did not keep it. And they stoned him for that. What was he saying? You all know that when God gave the Ten Commandments in the Old Covenant, He mediated that delivery in some means by angels. They believed that. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19, Paul says, why was the law given? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it, the law, was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Paul acknowledges what every Jew would have acknowledged, that the role of angels in giving the Old Testament was so instrumental that it led many Jews in that day to love the law more than God and to want to worship angels, not God who gave the law. And that's corrected in Colossians chapter 2 where Paul says, you know, some of you are getting carried away toward observance of the wrong days and worshiping angels. Don't be misled. Okay, that's the look back. You got it? So the whole point of the argument for this and the next chapter is Jesus is superior to angels. Angels were used by God to bring the old covenant to his people, and they're important. But guess what? There is a new messenger from God who brings a new covenant that is superior to the old covenant, and the one who mediates this new covenant is greater than those who mediated the last one, and the new covenant is better. As high a view as the Jews may have had about angels, the point is to affirm the superiority of Jesus. Everybody with me? And if the angels were agents who were attributed with delivering the old covenant, the new covenant inaugurated by Jesus is greater. He's the mediator of a new and better covenant. And the point of the next section is to underscore how much better this new message of Jesus is to the old. And what the writer does in the next section, verses 5 through 14, is cite seven Old Testament passages. And those seven Old Testament passages, it'll take about 20 minutes for each one, Nah, just kidding. We're not going to look at all of them, but there are seven passages that he cites in order to underscore 
how Jesus is superior to what preceded. Number one, he has a greater rank and a greater name. Verse 5 says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Jesus has a greater name than angels. To any of the angels, did God ever say, you are my son? Answer, no. It's one son. It's Jesus. Jesus has the name, son of God. Today I have begotten you. That comes from Psalm 2, which was a messianic text, a psalm sung at the coronation of Israelite kings, and now it's applied to the greatest king, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And this psalm from Psalm 2 is to indicate and be applied to Jesus, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And then the end of verse 5, or again, I will be to him a father and he shall become to me a son, is 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14. And the idea of being begotten is not a chronological term of what of birth order that he is the firstborn in the family line. It's a reference to preeminence and to rank and to prominence. So when Jesus is the first begotten, he is in the first rank, the first place of prominence. Prominence. It's a position of status. He comes to the world as the firstborn the first of prominence. And so, how is Jesus greater than angels? He's the Son of God. He is the first born. He is the, the, the prominent one. Do you remember when it's said of Jesus, He is the firstborn among the dead? It's used of Jesus that he's the firstborn among the dead because of this same idea. It's not chronology because Lazarus was born again, born again from the dead, but his place of prominence is what is mentioned here. His rank is greater. His name is greater. He has a greater name. He's the Son. Angels are not called that. Number two, in verse six, he has a greater honor. He's worshiped. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels worship him. Are angels to be worshipped? No. They have an important role. We're unaware of what angels do, but they're present and working. They long to look into the things that God is doing. But the one who receives worship is the one with greater honor, and that is Jesus. This is a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 32. He comes into the world and let the angels worship the Son. The Son doesn't worship the angels, and so neither should first century followers of Jesus or followers of Jesus in this day. How is the honor different? Verse 7 tells the honor of the angels... Of the angels, he said, let the angels, he makes the angels winds, and they are ministers, his ministers a flame of fire. What do the angels do? They, they serve, they're ministers. He makes the angels do what he wants them to do by moving them like the wind. 
They're ministers who do what God bids. What happens with Jesus? He's worshipped. So he has a greater rank. He has a greater honor. He's worshipped their servants. He also has, thirdly, a greater essence. Look at verse 8. But of the Son, he says, and now we're going to cite Psalm 45, your throne, O God, is forever. The scepter of your righteousness, uprightness, is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Jesus has a greater essence or nature. And it says of him, the most clear statement, the writer of Hebrews, citing Psalm 45, but of the Son, God says, your throne, O God, is forever. What is God calling the Son? God. In no more clear way can there be a a pronouncement of God's assessment of the Son, your throne, O God, is forever. He's underscoring the deity of Christ, His divinity, His full essence of God. The essence of Christ is one and same with the essence of the Father. Your throne, O God, is forever. You have loved righteousness. Who loves righteousness? God does. And you've hated wickedness. He has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. I I think the companions here is a reference to the angels. Beyond the angels, beyond the other messengers, You have been anointed with the oil of gladness because you are in a class by yourself. Your throne, O God, is forever. You alone love righteousness. You are anointed by God the Father with the oil of gladness beyond anyone else. You have an essence, and there is something about you that's unlike anybody else. It's Jesus. Get that? Again, it's an argument that's going to try to steer the listeners and readers of this book to say the one worthy of all praise, all glory, all honor, all allegiance is Christ because He has a greater name than angels. He has a a greater rank. He deserves worship. They don't. He has a greater essence. Fourth, He has a greater work. It's described in verse 10. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They're going to perish, but you're going to remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up, like a garment they will be changed, but you're the same and your years have no end. He does a greater work, and it's the work of creation. And it really underscores that God created the world. We saw it last week. Everything that was made was made by Him. He is the Lord of all the foundation, and it just simply says this, He upholds all things by the word of His power. The world is passing away. You know what? What's going to happen to the world? It's going to decay, decline, and it's going to be consumed and refashioned. And it's not going to happen until the Lord says it's going to happen. But it is going to happen. He's going to roll it up and then roll it out again, like a garment. And so we look at the world, and everybody's trying really hard to preserve it forever. Everybody with me on that? And it's not going to happen. You should be a good steward. Steward the earth. Amen.
take good care of what God gave us. But a time will come when he's going to roll it up like a garment and roll out the new heaven, new earth, and we're going to enter in. Who can do that? The one who's greater. The one who has a greater name, a greater rank, who's worthy of worship, who does the greater work of creation. It's the one who can do that. He always existed. You always remain, verse 11. You were there in the beginning. Before anything was, you were there. Do you understand what the writer is saying? Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, you were there before the world began. You're going to be there after it's gone. You have always been, you will always be, world without end. You're the creator. You deserve all praise, all glory. And everybody said. Okay, if you come in and like this is, this is a precious place. The hour that you've had here this morning is, is like a north star potentially for your life to say. The most important, the highest prominence, the greatest superiority belongs to Jesus Christ and only Him, and I follow Him. My life is guided by Him. He has, a, he has the greatest name and the greatest rank. He's worthy of worship. He's done the greatest work. And look at verse 13. He has the greatest destiny. He has the greatest destiny. And to which of the angels has God ever said... Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. What is going to happen at the end? He will become the heir of all things. All his enemies under his feet. All, over all, he will reign over all. And the, all the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever. Hallelujah. That's going to happen. What about the angels? What's their destiny? Aren't they all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? They're going to continue to be God's servants, serving the elect, serving His people. That's what they're doing now. That's what they're always going to do. And they're going to be around the throne saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. That's going to be their role for all of eternity. And it was what they were created for and born for. And it's going to be just their right station but the one who's going to receive that glory is the one who will put all things under his feet. Listen, seasons of national health come and go. Fads come and go. Trends come and go. Everything has a season. It comes and goes. Who's going to be here forever? So who are you going to give your life to? I want to pray for you if you like. Today you're worried about the future. Having an hour to think about the one who is worthy of praise. Let his name be praised. And we go out today and say, crown him the king because he truly is. And the world may fall apart and your week at school may be terrible. But guess who still not going to be rolled up like a garment. He's going to remain forever and ever, the Lord Jesus Christ. So who are you going to cling to? Who are you going to look to? Who are you going to trust in? Who are you going to worship? Who are you going to give your energy to? I mean, give your energy to work, but do you know He's always going to be there? He's going to reign forever. And not even angels 
are going to have the prominence or the role that he has. That's the argument. Angels brought the old covenant. Jesus has ushered in the new covenant, and he has a better name, a better rank, a better work, a better destiny, so he alone is worthy of worship. What will you do with that this week? At the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow. I wonder if you've given your life to this one who's worthy of all praise. I want to just encourage you this morning in a moment of silent reflection to say, Lord Jesus, if this is who you are, I give you my life. Because if this is who he is and you don't say yes to him, one day the one who will put all things under his feet will be you. If you come to him, you, you will reign with him. And you will rule with him. And you will enjoy his everlasting life. So will you come to Christ today? And will you worship him for who he is? To which of the angels, and they are awesome, if they were here, we'd fall down. And they'd say, get up, don't worship us. We're, we're not that. We belong to Him. We worship Him. And we worship the one who's greater even than angels. Let's stand together. If you'd like to pray with someone before we leave the room today, we'll be here at the front and the cafe will be open, but I, I pray that your heart will be enlarged to believe Jesus is who He says He is. Greater than the creation, greater than angels, greater than anything you're facing today. So Lord Jesus Christ, we cling to you by faith and we trust in you, we believe in you, we give you uh, praise that we've been able to be in this experience together this morning, to say with one heart, let Jesus Christ be praised because you are who you say you are. You are the very essence of God, and you entered into this world to bring us to you, and now you are seated at the right hand of God. May our thoughts about you be as big as they deserve. May we never take your name in vain. May we never utter words that bring you any ill repute, but may Jesus Christ be praised in our words and in our life, in our homes, in our marriages, in our workplace, in the university, in every school we attend, in every workplace. God, let us be those who worship the great one, the superior one. There is none like you. So now, Today and forevermore, Lord Jesus Christ, be praised. We all pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll see you soon.